Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. This is Sarah Miller and Marjorie DeHay with the Axis Effect. I'm super excited today to be here with our guest, Clive Savakul, who is a former fire chief and the CEO and founder of LogRx. Hi, Clive. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, you had me at fire chief. So I got tripped over <laughs> the LogRx stuff. Okay, like we were just, and I know we were just chatting, but like, honestly, love that you're former fire chief. Love so much about first responders and how much they go through to keep people safe. But I like how you transitioned from fire chief to starting a medical tracking system and everything. But like, let's kind of roll back before we get into this. Like, that's such an adrenaline junkie role. I mean, you're a fire chief. You're like running into fires. You're managing the teams. What made you transition out from being a fire chief and hanging up your hat and boots to running a startup? It's a great question. And just to put it out there, being a fire chief isn't the glamorous part of running into house fires anymore. I promoted out of that years ago, sadly, because that's the most fun part of the job. Being a fire chief is kind of being a spokesperson, desk job and running the budget and all that. Not as much fun part, but yes. So it's kind of funny. I started another program years ago, another startup called Exposure Tracker in 2014, which is a health and safety program for firefighters. And I left the fire department to do that back back then because I had some serious injuries as a firefighter in a busy, busy fire department near San Francisco. And so I created this program for health and safety and I missed being in the fire service. I went back as a fire chief where I was doing a desk job, not quite the same damage to my body, but I missed that bug of, of the entrepreneurship. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like creating your own company, having just the ability where the sky's the limit. And for anybody who's been a part of a startup, you know that you have to work day in and day out with other solid people who want to progress. And, and so you're, you're just surrounded by other really positive people. And I, and I missed that. And so I created LogRx a few years ago on the side. And, and about a year and a half ago, while I was still the fire chief at South Lake Tahoe, it started really taking off. And I, I realized I was going to have to pick one of the jobs. And the entrepreneurship just it has me hooked. So I, that, that's what brought me, driving back into it. But what was the initial spark that made you come up with this idea? Because it's so important because as a paramedic, you need to know what the medications are. You need to know the person's medical history. So what was like, you're sitting at the kitchen table going, wait a minute, I can solve this. Or was there some conversation you had? What was the spark? It's funny. It's because there was such a huge need for it. I've been a paramedic since 98, I think it is. And Everywhere I've worked, they, was, they would keep track of narcotics on pen and paper. My old fire department near San Francisco, they ended up adopting in a, like a spreadsheet version online. But you, you're talking about these drugs that can kill people. Fentanyl kills you know, countless people every year. And it's being tracked on pen and paper. And it's just something that is it's very complacent, leaves a lot of room for error. And if you have somebody with malicious intent, it's easy to manipulate. And so in my brain, after having been part of another startup, I thought, you know, there, there's got to be a better solution. And some of the programs out there, not that we have many competitors, they're just very costly. You have to buy their equipment. I thought, you know what? Everyone has a smartphone, smartphone scan. Yeah. They have biometrics to see who's doing what. You can track it all in real time. You can use their GPS to see where they're doing it. And so there was so much opportunity with what everyone already had. And so my brain just is constantly spinning with ideas, which is why I'm a nasty insomniac because I was up all night just thinking of ideas. I can't stop my brain, but... And so that that's kind of what sparked it. 
And so I originally created the company just, just as an idea, test the water. And then it started really taking off and, and that we got some big, big customers towards like, uh Oh, I actually have to take this serious now. So, so this, so this came from all of your experience you know, being a paramedic and I know being a fire chief as well, you got to manage everything. Were there a lot of, I mean, I can only imagine there's a lot of mismanagement of issues. I mean, I know ambulances get jacked up for people who just want the drugs and everything. So this really came from experience of seeing how, how difficult it was to manage medications and narcotics out in the field. Yeah. Just seeing it all firsthand, which is beneficial in several ways, because now as the CEO, when I go to a customer, would-be customer, I'm able to to speak from their their position. People aren't going to be able to throw a challenge at me that I yeah. probably have not encountered myself. And so when they see that they're talking to a peer versus a salesperson, we're able to talk on that level. Because I, I honestly, I hate sales. So I like just talking to people saying, hey, here's our program. It works great. If we want to use it, we'd be happy to work with you. So not only have I recognized the problems, but then I'm able to talk to our customers as, as one of them. No, so I do love this. And so how how old is the company or how new is the company? Should I, I should ask? Technically, we started in 2016. That was my just brainchild back then. Just started an S Corp. And then in 2018, I think it was, decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take it serious. Yeah. Brought on a, a, some more better team, to be honest, because I was kind of doing it on the side. And so it was 2019. They were like, okay, we're going to do this. We have a company. My co-founder, he's, he's been in the business world for years and he's, he's a rock star developer, chief technology officer. He's an amazing programmer. And so we had that strong foundation of a good team. And so it was about 2019 that we really kind of say that we launched our product. And, and you have the mobile. So if you're out there in the field, whether it's the uh, same client you see, which I know is hard because you have multiple people needing help every day, they could go on and they could figure out what, what's on the truck, the dosage, what's left, what's being used, what's not being used all on their mobile phones. They could check inventory, how much is being used, how much has been given out, and they could get all the data that they need versus having to go through paperwork. Hey, how much do we have? How old is it? I know, and all this stuff, all of it's simple at your fingertips, which is quicker and faster to save lives. To look on your phone on an app versus trying to sort through paperwork when somebody needs something. So everything is really mobile integrated what are they out in the field yeah and it's being compiled in real time and so if you do get audited which our customers do occasionally they don't have to go and compile a bunch of documents they don't have to search their entire agency like we have the city of portland as a customer and they're not going to go around to 50 something fire stations every time they're audited but so with our program everything's already tracked they can just click a button and it'll export any uh, complete inventory of, of where everything's at and so it's it basically tracks a drug vial from cradle to grave. So it, we can tell you who's had their hands on any given vial in the city of Portland Fire Department. It's that detail. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, because we started in 2019 and then COVID hit, but that might have been a benefit to you. So how did you kind of survive or thrive through COVID? That's a great question. COVID, our, our interest levels dropped off during COVID because we had customers ready to go in the pipeline and they said, Hey, you know, we, we have to focus on the pandemic, which I was still a fire chief then. So I kind of had to focus on it as well. But what happened during COVID and is still kind of in place is because of that lack of interest, competitors and would be competitors weren't able to get funding or they were running the problems. And so because we were bootstrapping our customers or our business, we don't have any investors outside ourselves. 
we could survive. And so it kind of was a way to put everyone through the ringer and those who came out are kind of able to now thrive. And we were fortunate that through that time period, we kept, kept building our program. I actually donated my program to the county. I was a fire chief in said, Hey, if you want to use these, attract the COVID vaccines, we can use my program. It's amazing. Yeah. In the meantime, I hosted, I think, 18 vaccine clinics in, in Lake Tahoe to vaccinate the community. At the same time, I was wearing all these different hats, but COVID kind of, it helped in the aspect that once it was over, it, the kind of the floodgates were open. That's yeah. ultimately why I had to leave my position. Well, I think it's because like, during the pandemic, everybody was, I mean, granted, people were still needing help, but they were on lockdown. So I would think hopefully the emergencies were quilt. People were just at home, you know, trying to stay hunkered in. And then I know this is amazing that you're doing this. If you have a station or, you know, everybody's on their shifts, if you have two or three ambulances and one is out on the field and they're trying to update, hey, we just gave up, I don't know what you use, narcotics, morphine, Narcam or whatever that stuff is. And another ambulance has a call. It, do they all log in so it's like time managed so you know what you have, what the truck's next to you? If there's two trucks on one call for mass injuries and they're scrambling, you know, like, you know, you see mass ambulances together and fire trucks at car accidents, really bad ones and gnarly ones on freeways. Do they connect into the same integrated system or is every truck and station on their own system? So it's a little bit of both. So every single ambulance, fire engine, fire truck, they're going to have their own inventory. But a paramedic or firefighter from another engine, say they go to this mass casualty incident, major major fire or something like that where there's a lot of injuries, a paramedic from another fire engine can go grab, uh, say, a morphine from another ambulance or fire engine, and they can administer it, they can scan it, and then they're able to track their activity with that drug. And the system's going to show who did what. So it it doesn't prevent anybody from using a drug within their organization because what we wanted to design was a program that helped the firefighters and didn't make them conform to how our program operates so our program base is customizable so each agency can make it work for their current policies you know we talk a lot about leadership too and obviously to be a fire chief you have a lot of leadership to be a paramedic to create your own company can you talk a little bit about your leadership journey in the past five years and some things you've learned yeah. For me, it probably started years ago when I was a captain. It's probably the late 90s. And I ended up through some tragedies, joined the union leadership to help improve the situation for my department. And so just sort of because I saw these huge needs and in, in changing, I just stepped up into to some of these positions. And that, that really helped kind of guide me through my career. I never intended to even be a battalion chief, let alone a fire chief. You know, my goal is actually just to drive fire engines because I like I like cars and motorcycles. But yeah, the leadership aspect of it has been really, really interesting. And something that has been really helpful from being both an entrepreneur and a fire chief is I stepped away to do a startup company. And when I went back into the fire service, it had changed my brain to where I didn't think like a normal government employee department head. I thought of, okay, I'm not going to get held up by bureaucracies. I'm going to surround myself by strong, hardworking people. I'm going to have a high level of accountability. And, and just have a mentality that we're always going to progress to improve the product to our customers. And that really helped me a lot as, as a fire chief. And in the leadership role, it was very helpful, which to be honest, at times meant I was holding people more accountable than they had been with previous fire chiefs. But from running a startup and running your own personal business, you know that if you don't work hard and you don't have high level accountability, you're going to fail. And so I took that same approach as a, as a fire chief and, and it, it was very 
helpful in, in guiding me. I mean, being a fire chief, I mean, and, you know, battalion and what you went from being a paramedic, you went to the fire side, you're now switching over to lead a startup. And I know they always say the grass is greener. I'm like, it's just a different shade of green based on what side, but it's still all about the leadership. I mean, how are you compare? Are you comparing or can you compare leading, you know, firemen and stations and teams out there? Because I know that's a lot of stress, a lot of quick decisions made in the field to running a startup. I mean, are you seeing like, is it an easier leadership style for you? Are you still seeing some of the skill set? So what Marge was talking about of making quick decisions under pressure, similar, just on a different playing field on the tech and startup side. Yeah, it's helped. The decision-making piece is very helpful because as a firefighter from day one, you're getting thrown into challenging situations and it's your job to be creative to help improve, improve things. Same thing with a startup. You know, you might get, get thrown with different challenges every day and that creative brain that, that I've grown to use has really been been helpful for addressing those. The, the leadership side, I'd, I'd say it's easier because we built the company from the ground up to where, you know, we have a small team. There's about eight of us. You surround yourself and you bring them in, you know, you hire for attitude and train for skill, right? And so we look for people that just have really good attitudes and people don't go into a startup like you might going into a government job, to be honest. I mean, it, some people take firefighting jobs because got good security, good retirement, get a lot of days off. And so sometimes those challenges make it difficult to motivate. Whereas a startup company, I think it's easier on the leadership side because everyone's all in, if that makes sense. I mean, I think you're all in. I mean, you have a team leader. I mean, it's all about, you know, I always say a good leader is a good team player. You have to know when to roll up your sleeves and jump in. I mean, you obviously know that more than anybody being, I mean, from paramedics and being on the um, fire station side, you roll up, but you also have to understand the discipline, follow the leader, so to speak. It is a safety issue. Yeah, that is different. It's more dangerous being a firefighter. Sometimes I don't know, being on the startup side is any less dangerous on a whole different level. We still take bullets for people on the VCs and investors. But I do think, um, because we always joke around that, you know, some of the best leaders that, I mean, I've seen have always had an athletic background. When I look at, whether it's my clients as an agency, I look at, and from being a PR firm, you get all sorts of companies. But I always look at the ones that really stand out to me, that really catch my eye, that I'm impressed with, always have that athletic, they were former athletes or they were sports people. Or like, if you look at people like you on the fire side, a good, really good client of ours, he was CEO's former military. He was LAPD. It's oh, just, wow. you just, you just see such a distinct leadership and such a distinct level coming from people that have that, I guess, grace under pressure. There's this, and I'm going to forget the guy's name, Marjorie. So we have this great client comes on. His name is Mick Mulroy. He is former military CIA intelligence. Still in it. I mean, his business partner is commander of the SEAL team. They are still like the military analyst. Goes in, cold situation, trains you guys or trains guys out there um, on bad situations. And a good friend of his, Mark Panopanopoulos, wrote this book. It was this really amazing book of from a CIA standpoint of and I forgot the name of the book. I should have just thought that through first before I said it about some about strategy under fire or something like that to where you're in these such intense situations. I mean, it's life or death. You're military, you're intelligent, you're out there. You know, I mean, it's just craziness on a SEAL team side and how to make solid 
calm decisions that save lives, yours, your team members, civilians, under such extreme pressure, how to stay calm, how to go with your gut, how to make those solid decisions to move forward safely with your team. And I love that I read his book and I love that coming from your standpoint on the show, it's the same thing. You came from such an intense career to making solid decisions you have to stand behind. But now you're taking that same common sense that you know so well and applying it in the startup world. And I do think there is a parallel of leadership that is so defined that is no different from being where you are now and then being where you were before you came into LogRx. Yeah. And and I'm glad you brought that. The calmness is a huge factor in and probably the fire service, military, law enforcement. Anytime you're being put in these, these life and death situations, if you have one person that's kind of flying off the handle or, or we used to call them a screamer, like if you had a captain that was a screamer on fires, it elevates everyone's sort of anxiety versus, I remember a captain I worked with and when I started, I was essentially raised in the fire service by these Vietnam vets. So the fire service was nothing to them. And so I just saw these guys, we'd go to these ripping house fires with people trapped inside and like, okay, so have a cool, grab a hose line, get to the front door, I'll be right behind you. And just the calmness in their voice helps even a new, as a new firefighter, me to, to just focus, okay, what needs to be done? Just focus on the objective tasks. Don't, don't get emotional because that's not going to help anything. And so the calmness is a huge factor. I, I used to tell my chiefs when I was a, the fire chief, I said, no matter what, when you're on scene, even if you're not calm, you need to look calm and especially sound calm on the radio because it impacts everybody. But I think that's for everything. I mean, I think you have so much, so much going on. We're human. We're all going to crack. But you got to keep the facade. You got to keep your cool, keep your posture, own your leadership, fall apart behind the scenes. Right. In front. I always say, I always say with people in you know, situations with staff at big events we've done that I've seen, I've witnessed where they just strip down, like, you know, we used to run with AEG so, and Red Bull. So when something really goes big and there's mass amounts of millions of people, you don't rip somebody down. You keep your cool. You have a plan B. You handle the situation. You could talk to your team behind closed doors after, but the idea is fix it, move forward as seamlessly as possible. Because we've done a lot of monster events and I've been in situations where not fire, saving lives. It was runway work. So I had to save, you know, it is saving models on runway, but I've had to make such quick, calm decisions that were very messy for my staff to calmly go execute where nobody even knew we even had a problem or an issue. And I, I did that. So, and I, I used to always be told, I mean, it was a big joke with AG because we learned to land jumbo jets on driveways under grace because this is the speed and PR with the event side. But I think it's for, so I understand that and I totally get that, but I feel like there's so much, only so much one human can handle. And I think, do you guys, this is kind of a weird question. Do you carry that same strategic calmness home with you? Or is it more of a, hey, being a firefighter, doing this whole thing, you have that safe place where you can fall apart. There are some things that are just messy that you just, you're only human. Or do you really, do these guys really strive to keep that going in the person in their business life? Because I know the reason why I'm asking, because I know there's so much publicly that I've had to keep my calm or nobody knew. But when it comes to like, for example, as Marjorie knows, a broken down car in the middle of the desert, there was no calmness or leadership on me. It was just stressful. But if I had to go turn around within three seconds to get in front of a camera or to handle an emergency, 
cool as a cucumber, but I know certain there's certain triggers we all have. And I know it's harder for you guys because you can't let those personal triggers when you're out chasing down fires and running the buildings and administering drugs to people in crazy situations. Yeah, I think that mental health has become a lot bigger topic in the fire service and uh, law enforcement over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. When I started, it, it wasn't even a discussion. And so I think that's really helped. And I think that now the millennial generation, I think, has brought in a lot more emphasis on a, a personal life and a home life that I, I don't think my generation did. I think it was, you know, you have organizational loyalty, you kick butt for the company. So I think that's a positive trait that millennials have brought into all workforces is they want to have a life at home too. Oh. So I, I, I think for me, probably a lot of firefighters, we, we just find that balance. I'm lucky that I have a great family that's mellow too. My wife's been in media, news reporter. And so she's been in very hectic situations, been able to do stuff on the fly. And so I think that we're also able to both keep our, keep our cool in tough situations. Yeah. Yeah. Let um, me ask you a fun question. You know, I have a background in law, so I often watch legal shows and I'm like, oh, my God, that would never happen. That witness would not crack on the sand. They would have been prepared. So I don't know if you watch like Chicago Fire or 911. What are a couple things that you you go like, oh, my God, that would never, never happen in real life? I've never seen Chicago Fire, but I'd say that I don't think I've ever seen a fire show that was very realistic. Wait, uh, so Chicago Fire is actually, I'm going to just admit this out loud, one of my favorite shows for so many reasons. Like I love Chicago Fire. I mean, besides obviously all the TV shows drama, I feel there are always that one or two shows that try to mirror really life and not over-dramatize it, which is why I think people get drawn into it. I don't know, because I'm obviously not running down buildings, saving lives and fires, but I do feel Chicago Fire does have a sense of when the showrunners and the ready mags that 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 calmness in bad situations, but okay, I'm a big fan. You should go watch it, Clive. But there has to be something out there. There has to be because you look at all the legal stuff, right? What is it, Law and Order? On like SUV or SVU, on like eight or nine different Law and Order ones, yeah. legal. And then there's, so. a, there's a few like Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. There's a but there's a whole bunch of them. There's got to be something into all this crossover that is as real as it could get to Margie's point? Or are you looking at what's the most obscure thing that will never happen? Or are there shows that are, yeah, they're almost spot on of how things are being handled. Like if we flip the script. Right. Well, so I haven't seen Chicago Fire. I'll have to check that one out. I, I will say that an easy way to watch those shows and know it's fake or not is if they go into a house fire without a mask on. I think the movie Backdraft, like, the lead character, I don't think he ever once had a mask on. And you do that once and you're, you're dead. Your, your lungs are fried. You're dead. So that right there. And the other thing is you can't see inside a house fire, especially once you start spraying the water. Cause then all that water you spray in the fire turns the steam. It burns you on your, any part of your body that's exposed. You're getting a little bit of steam burning or a lot. So that's one of the big things that they, if you can see inside of a fire on those shows, which you can sometimes right before you open the nozzle, but that's one of the big indicators that it's not real. But then again, it's a show and they want to do entertainment. And so if you just said, all right, they're in a fire and all you do is hear and hear fire crackling, it'd probably be that enter entertaining. So wait, Marjorie, what, what is the most, now you brought this up, what is, which legal show are you watching being an attorney that you think is the closest to real life? And then what's the most 
outrageously stupid show because everything is just overly dramatized, like what Clive's saying on the fire stuff. You know, I can't think of one that's really good because I had done criminal law. So it's like a lot of these like people admit on the stand or like crack on the stand or it's they get to trial right away where you're like, no, that would really take like three to four years to ever happen. <laughs> but, you know, it's a show. And often, like even the law's wrong. You're like, no, that wouldn't be that felony. It would be this or they charge him with this and they plead out because like 98 percent gets out. So actually getting to court, you're going to have a rock solid case as a prosecutor. So there's ones that are good, you know, that get like law and order does some things very well. But, you know, a lot of them, it's just like it's entertainment. It's not yeah. the law. It's really. how <laughs> I have a question for you, Clev, and I absolutely love this. With LogRx, you are just obviously, I mean, badass, amazing paramedic, fire chief. And now you created this such a great a demand that you were living through the whole time. But you expanded not just fire and law enforcement, people who are administering stuff. You have wildlife and veterinarian services in your portfolio. What would talk to us about that? Yeah, that was kind of a surprise. Because I love that, by the way, because I super love that you went that extra mile for wildlife and veterinarian. So I want you to kind of talk through this with us, how you connected that. Yeah. And I absolutely love animals. And so that was a nice, nice kind of turn for us. But basically they, the state of California Fish and Wildlife came to us about a year and a half ago and just said, Hey, we found you online. Is there any way this could work for our staff? And at the time it really needed some work, but basically we looked at what they had going, did some research thought, okay, let's, let's change our program. And a lot of that had to do with because we really didn't have much competition in that, in that profession. And so California Fish and Wildlife ended up coming on. They're, they're actually our biggest customer. They're huge. And I was so excited to work with them that when we were doing their onboarding training last year, I went up and down the state with their, their lead staff training, I think it was like 170 of their practitioners throughout the state wow. of California, just because I was so intrigued by something outside the fire service, to be honest. Well, and, but this, I mean, they're, you know, they, they always have the biggest thing is, I mean, it is the tranquilizers, but the bears and the cats and stuff. And they, like, I'm huge, huge animal person. So to me, I always like, <gasps> you know, I'm not I'm, I'm back in my head when I, when you read it on the news, you see it. My first thing is they better have made sure that animal was safe. It wasn't an adverse and just say, Hey, we knocked you out. So we could go take a monster 300 ton bear to another place and walk away because coming off drugs, you know, from vets, when you take cats and dogs out from surgeries, unlike people, you just can't leave them for 24 hours because just the animals do not react properly. And I always worried, like, what are they shooting them with? And they just going to walk away and have them have like, you know, after effects or get sick. I mean, I know they're animals, wild animals, but it always, because I look at what goes on in South Africa with the rhinos. I just saw a big thing on the news where I don't know if the rhino was hurt, but they had like 12 different guys out there, med guys, they got the rifles, you know, I don't know if it was poached, but they were putting the blindfold on. They gave it a shot to keep it calm so they could transport it to a rehab. And I just, it, you have to, you cannot not question these drugs, what you're giving these animals, how much. I know they're wild animals. They're not our pets, but it is all about conservation and animals still have feelings and are in pain, keeping that safe. It goes down to obviously our little fur pets at home, but like it is always a question how regulated is wildlife and veterinarian care? Because we focus on human life so much because we're, you know, we're human, but I love that you're focusing on 
the animals and everything as well. And like, is, is it just the tranquilizers or is, does it go further than that with wildlife? Because California is amazing, but I feel on a BD level, if we're going to go down the startup, there's a whole market from here to South Africa and other jungles that need log RX when they're trying to sedate wild animals. And I don't know if this he is- just wants to know if cocaine bear could actually happen. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like how far, where does this, where, where were the blurry, I mean, are the lines blurred with animals or how far are you going to take this into the wildlife? Honestly, as far as we can go, we, we love that industry. And I will preface all of this with saying that the wildlife veterinarians we've worked with are the most compassionate people on the planet. That when they treat an animal, you know, if they sedate it, they will sit there with it while it's recovering. In fact, that's actually when they use LogRx and they've sent me pictures of them waiting for the animal to recover. They scan the drugs, track everything that just occurred. And then they check in on that through, they tag animals at times. But I can, I can tell you that they are extremely compassionate. I was very impressed. Then you, you want to talk about firefighters being brave. They were telling me a story about a mountain lion that was waking up in a helicopter with them after they're transporting it. Oh, and so sure. they're, they're a tough group, very compassionate. And honestly, they've been, they've been great to work with. But They put the animals first. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. That's all I needed that for this like podcast. Movie, though. You have a helicopter mountain lion. Yes. Was he just waking up and they had to sit, make sure he was more sedated or was he just like, hey, let's go and standing up? I mean, it wasn't like an active mountain lion, right? It was it was slowly waking up. Yeah, so he, he wasn't he wasn't again. gnawing on the pilot's neck or anything yet. <laughs> I just OK, I just so love that. I think we're done with our show now that I got that answer. And I just I love to hear that these people seriously are taking care of these animals and not complete assholes i mean animals i just i just so love that you just said that and and then taking that to the veterinarian side now on a domestic level yes we we work with some veterinarians and to your point about other countries we had an inquiry a couple days ago from new zealand from a veterinarian we've had some up in the some wildlife veterinarians up in the yukon in, in canada and so we are looking at expanding. We actually have a, a member of our company. He's, he's a wildlife veterinarian expert. He goes around the country and teaches, actually goes around the world. He was in Guam last month teaching. And so we have somebody on our team that actually is an expert veterinarian. And so he's been instrumental in kind of getting us in the doors, going through a program, making sure it fits the profession. So yeah, we're, we're really looking to expand the industry. I, I would think you guys, so we had an amazing producer on for Nat Geo and Disney in season two like three years ago or two years ago, three years ago. And and RuPaul was down there. He actually did our podcast from the jungles deep down. I don't even know in South America. He was down there shooting for Nat Geo, saving Black Panthers. And so he had a similar story, but I'm like, but I'm feeling it. And then like that, that's where you guys are needed because they're helping these extinct animals from being hunted and poached, knocking them out, trying to get them to safer areas and stuff. But then if you look at South Africa, such a horrible situation with these poachers leaving animals to suffer out there. I feel like they are scrambling to do the best they can, where I feel like there is such a huge need for a log RX in the wildlife, like beyond just here in the United States. That I would think, obviously, and I do wish you the best of luck, because the more exposure you get, the more you're going to expand. Obviously, fire EMS, but on the um, animal side as well, out of the country, which I think is tremendous. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fun for us. Quick, funny side note. You're not alone in how much you care for animals. I could tell you, 
I don't know how many people I've pulled out of house fires, but I think every single dog that we've rescued from a house fire, I even have a, a news video of me pulling a fish out of a house fire one time, a fishbowl. And I still have that. And people like that dog will be on the news for two weeks while it's in the vet getting, getting healed up versus a person you pull them out and like, ah, oh, one person rescued from a house fire in Richmond. And that's the end of the story. But but everyone loves animals and so but I, I do i do love that i do i do i mean people always say that okay you, you're breathing you're alive you go walk you may you, you'll survive but it's always on the animals and like and i i know that because i think my, my house i was robbed my house was burglarized in la years and years and years ago and it was pretty bad and there was like five police cars guns you know, don't go in the house we're here and i'm so hysterical i don't care about what was stolen I had a three month old kitten that I just rescued. And like, I was like, they, I think these police officers knew if the only way to get me to calm down, even spell my name is if they were found my kitty, they were on their hands and knees with flashlights trying to find my little three month old kitten. Cause I think they realize, yeah, until we find this cat, she's not going to be any use to us. So I do see, and I, I do think we all have had animals. I do think if there was something so traumatic like that, I know I would be like, go get, go get Stoli, go find my baby. Cause they're so terrified. I know with horses, they have to put the blinders on them. Like, remember that big fire? It was like right before the pandemic it was a 20 November, 2019 or October, 2019, when um, the fires ripped through Malibu and they were so bad that they, yeah. they were bringing in fire from every state possible. And there were horses tethered on the beach. It was the only safe place for them. And you can see all just the, fire and smoke in the background. I mean, I just felt in those situations is where like you guys are so critical on the animal side to keep these animals calm. Cause you know, those owners are not going to be calm until their animals are safely out calm and relaxed, you know? Yeah. And the, what's great is there's some charities out there. A friend of mine, actually, she runs one and they let her and her team into like the base camps at these, these major fires to help bus out or trailer out all these wild animals or, or, or not wild, like horses and such. And so a lot of the command posts will work with these charities to make sure that the animals can get out safely as well too for these major fires. Okay. So it's funny. I mean, not funny, but kind of funny now during that huge fire in Malibu and in LA. So funny. It was a huge, huge photo. It wasn't about all the homes that burnt down and the poor people who were out, no water, no clothes. Two weeks straight, this one girl, she had her cats, her dogs, her stuff. She was just Bailing out down the road. You can see like, you know, the flames of fire trucks in the background. They were the most heart-wrenching photos. It's like whatever crew got those photos, they really got like like it was just if you just look at the eyes of animals, you can see the fear. She pulled over, pissed off like the police or fire were like, you gotta keep going. She pulled over, found a random little sheep or lamb, terrified running on its own and it was fired his skin was uh, burnt up his little fur was burned and it, you could tell it was terrified it was a farm animal she had no idea where it came from she stopped got the little sheep put it in her car with her dogs like like a dog just to keep driving because she wasn't going to let an animal just run around like that who was probably not going to make it out if it didn't get help and they were so busy fighting the fires and getting horses out she just stopped and grabbed random animals just from a farm nearby. And she had this car full of like two sheeps and ducks by the end with her dogs, with her suitcases. Couldn't give you a lift as a human because she had all the animals. And her whole thing was get the animals off the mountain and find a farm for them. And like you, to your point, that was constantly in the news. Yeah. Just, and I just, it was like, that's leadership. It was calmly 
leave, rescue an animal or a human and just keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. During the uh, Caldor fire in 2021, which is basically 230,000 acre fire that came into Tahoe. And I was fire chief up there at the time. And so and before I got to Tahoe, we literally had the worst air quality on the planet. There was news stories about it. And so during press conferences every morning, I would say, hey, don't just stay inside yourself and make sure you're bringing your pets inside. And so we made it a point to talk about bringing in all their animals. And when we set up for evacuations, which we, we evacuated the entire city, we set up methods to get out pets as well. So it, it's, it's actually always a, a big topic with firefighters because we know how important animals are. That's so amazing. Just to shift a little bit, because I know we're going to wrap up soon. Maybe you could give us some of the best advice you've gotten, either business, personal, et cetera, life advice, and kind of share it with our listeners. That's a good one. I think an, a huge emphasis on the team, you know, in any situation you're in, having good, solid people around you that you support, you know, as a leader, you need to lead from the front. You need to make sure they're taken care of. I mean, in, in LogRx, I'm not the highest paid person, even though I'm the CEO. And so it's important that you make sure that you take care of your folks because they're going to take care of you. So I think the best advice is just having that good, solid team with really good attitudes. And it's something you have to nurture. You can't, as a leader, how you address things is very dynamic. Something that worked last year might not work this year or last month might not work this month. So you need to be very, very in tune with what your team's needs are what your customers' needs are and making sure that you're just on top of it nonstop because you can never just say, I'm good, I got things set, so let's move forward. So it, it's, it's really important. And even those situations where you have maybe some team members that aren't that great and you're focusing a lot of your attention to bring them up to speed, you then still can't neglect the other 80% of your staff that is supportive because then they're going to feel like, wait a minute, what's going on? Why is Chief Sabacool just, just working with on, on these guys? So I think that the team side of things makes all the difference in the world. What's communication, whether you're running into a burning building with your team on the outside or you have teams out in the field, you know, working with LogRx, it's you have to be in constant communication to make sure check and balance. Everybody's good. Everybody's moving forward. Nobody's left behind, but it's really about communication. Like the, but I always say some of the hardest conversations make the best relationships. They do. And, and, you just really, I really learn to trust one another too that way. I, I left the department here in San Francisco in 2014. There's guys that I haven't talked to since then. And I bet some of I could call today and say, hey, I'm in Iowa with a flat tire. Can you help? And they would drop what they're doing and help me out and vice versa. So having that, that, those talks and being on the same page and that trust makes such a big difference. Yeah. Where are your plans to take LogRx? I mean, you've already expanded from animals, wildlife, EMS, you have air rescue. I mean, where do you want to take the company from here? Or where do you see it going? We want to be global for one. We actually are breaking into the UK. I will be there this summer to work with. We have a, a large customer there that's good, such going to be our redistributor. We've got leads from all over the planet. Papua New Guinea looks to implement our program. And so we want to partially be global to make our program bigger, but we love traveling. And so I love the idea of finding a 36-hour flight to Papua New Guinea, however long <laughs> it takes to get there and, and see that country. So there's that piece of it. And then from a business standpoint, we have our narcotics tracking program now, but based off how the code is developed, we could copy and paste that essentially. And I'm dumbing it down quite a bit because I don't, I don't understand the coding near as good as my developer, obviously, but we could expand that and offer other products, other services. And so the idea is if we get in with all these agencies and then create other products, we can then 
upsell them essentially. Is, where is the um, product R&D? Is it you're reskinning what you have and it's obviously for the medical side. Are you thinking reskin it for other areas without the same kind of ethos of saving lives? Or are you thinking taking the integration on the APIs and just applying that real-time accounting and integration to other industries or things outside of meds? A lot of that, actually. So the APIs, we could tie in with other software to make us more appealing to other agencies, but reskinning it would be tracking equipment. So for example, firefighting coats and pants, they have a 10-year lifespan. You're supposed to document every time they're washed, every time they're in a fire, anytime they have repairs made. And so right now it's done on paper. So our program, we could just create tags, scan them and document all of that. So it, it wouldn't be that hard of a transition, but what we, what we didn't want to do was do it too soon. We want to make sure that we've completely perfected one aspect before we move on to, to build up the other piece. But there's a lot of options to go out there. And then there's also other industry like law enforcement. Most police officers carry Narcan now to reverse fentanyl. We can track Narcan. And so we could break into the law enforcement side when there's a lot more police officers in the world than there are firefighters. And so the industry, the market value is a lot bigger. Well, it's also the equipment. And, you know, especially with fire, because you guys are super hard on your equipment, you know, and using it, breaking things down. I know between the mass oxygen tanks, I mean, down to law enforcement of guns and stuff, you have to track equipment. Like you said, when it's been cleaned, when it's been broken, when it's been fixed. And I feel like the last thing you want to do is go into a, a burning building or law enforcement, anything, and have equipment failures because it wasn't service or it was eight months past due or there was something on it that nobody really paid attention to. The mechanicals, of saving lives from, you know, when planes fly, I mean, planes all have, hopefully I want to say they all have that similar, Hey, this part is a year old. Let's replace it. Now don't put it back up in the air. I feel like what you're doing, the integration of the technology is such a tremendous thing, mainly to keep people safe, whether it's equipment, vehicles, or meds. I mean, it's all kind of in the same ethos of being a fire chief or what you need to rely on. So you have that confidence to lead with safety to save others. Yeah. And, and kind of like we just mentioned, sky's the limit, and no pun intended, but airplanes, like you mentioned, we learned that from an airplane mechanic, he asked about using our program because I guess every time a mechanic works on a plane, they have to inventory their tools before and after just to make sure nothing was left in the engine that's going to cause the crash. So even just something as simple as that, we could adapt our program to use. And so there's well, but, a but lot. Surgeons, surgeons, okay, I don't know if this is true. I mean, you always hear stuff. Oh, well, they left a cotton ball and somebody's when they took their appendix out or they left a tool and when they did a you know, brain surgery, I mean, it, yeah. you have so much we relied for paperwork and humans to check, double check, and we're only human. You do a 20 hour surgery, you're exhausted. Did we count that other cotton ball? Is it back? I mean, there's so much we have to figure out how to do. And people always complain, oh, we don't want AI. We don't want to lead in the tech. It's going to replace jobs. And I think that's such a skewed viewpoint. I think if you're going to lead, you need to lead into the technology to help make it better, safer for everybody, regardless of what side of the table you're on. So I do love that what you're doing does go beyond what you intended it to do. It does. Yeah. And, and there is a little bit of a dilemma in that. And that's the fundraising aspect. We haven't taken any investors. And so the CEO part of me thinks, okay, it's nice not having investors. It's nice being able to have this control with the rest of the board. But are we missing the boat by not getting into the other verticals because we don't take on some VC money, build up our team, add more developers and expand faster than we are currently. 
And so from the CEO standpoint, I, that, that is one of those dilemmas in my head that we're still not hundred percent sure that we're. Yeah. It's situation. always hard to give away equity in part of what you want when you're trying to lead for good because everybody right. sees it as a revenue projection and where you're coming at it from a saving lives projection that is more critical. So you're kind of in that tough spot. That's a whole other conversation right. on the podcast on VCs and stuff. It, it was so good having you on the show, Clive. I know we kind of hunted you down for a little bit there for a few weeks. because it was so impressive what you were doing. So I'm super appreciative that you had the time to come on today. Yeah. Thank you. And one quick side note, came to my mind, there's a TV show called Third Watch. That one had very realistic paramedic oh, dynamics. That's an older one. It is, yeah. yeah. So it came to my mind, it's like, okay, I don't want to leave him hanging. Third, <laughs> third watch. That one had really podcast. good real life. Yeah. Nice. So. Well, 911, they always have the masks on. So Ryan Murphy has done a good job on that one. Okay. We're going to be watching fire and um, like crime shows and just making sure everybody has their masks on. Clive, where can people reach you at? If they just go to logrx.com. They'll, they'll find our contact information and then I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. It was so good. Thank you for coming on and sharing your time with us. I do appreciate it. Likewise, it was a pleasure. Great. Thank so you. Sarah Miller and Marjorie DeHay with Access Effect with Clive Savicle at LogRx. And we'll see everybody again next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Access Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.